The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 7, reading verses 7 to 13, I invite your hearing of God's word, both with reverence and in faith. So from Romans chapter 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, oftentimes uh, in the faith, we uh, have occasion to share a personal testimony about how God intervened in our life, and brought us to himself. And uh, that is in part uh, what we're going to look at this morning, namely, the Apostle Paul is going to give us his testimony uh, as a very religious man and how the law exposed him as being spiritually dead, uh, making his religion uh, quite, quite worthless. And in the text, uh, he's going to tell us that the law is good because it defines sin, and that's what it did for the Apostle Paul. It defined him as a sinner. Uh, and it does uh, something else. It convicts of sin. Uh, the law, if you will, forms around us a courthouse, and God is the judge. We have broken his law. All of us have broken his law. And because he's the God of justice, we are under uh, the penalty of the divine court. So, defined sin, convicts us of sin, and then Paul's going to tell us something that is extremely important. Uh, namely, the law cannot save us. It has no ability to save us. It's a convictor. It's a definer. It's not a saver. So, uh, the broader context is essential. Specifically, Paul has been telling us that no one is justified by law works. And that we are under grace and not under law. And by the way, that is an indictment against religion. Religion loosely defined, or man's attempt to find God. We, we do good. Uh, we try to clean ourselves up and make ourselves to appear good before him uh, because God is infinite in his glory and majesty. Uh, it's, all, it's all condemned. Um, so religion cannot save us. God has to save us. And it is a beautiful thing to say that we are under grace and not law. Uh, because one could imply from this 
that the law is no longer needful, uh, Paul's going to address this matter from the standpoint of personal experience prior to his coming to Christ. And he's going to tell us uh, the importance of the law in that event. And succinctly, it, it uh, convicts the heart, certainly convicted Paul's heart. It's going to lay him bare. As you know, Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, and as a Pharisee, he thought uh, he had a very good relationship with God. If you will, he thought he was alive. And he certainly had impeccable credentials. Read very quickly from uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. So that's Paul's resume. His curriculum vitae, if you will. A pretty impressive. But the, the problem with it, it's not our estimation of ourselves that is of any great importance. Uh, might be good as a physician or an attorney uh, or a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker in our prosecution for the good of society, but we're not talking about the good of society. We're talking about the glory of God. And uh, what we do uh, in terms of that uh, culture is really of no avail. Let's turn very quickly to uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 15. Uh, again, I'm not condemning anyone's credentials, just that um, they're not received well in heaven. Uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, and uh, reading the 15th verse. He said to them, You are those who justify your own selves, in the sight of men. But God knows your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sign of God. Uh, let's look at chapter 18, verse 9. And he also told the parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So, um, Human credentials are wonderful things. Uh, they're just not received uh, before the court of heaven. It's also important to realize that Paul uh, rejects antinomianism, essentially that there's no law. Paul is not anti-law. He simply understands its role and its limitations. So he begins with a question, is the law sinful? He answers with a very strong negation. And then he says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. So the law is critical in, in defining uh, sinfulness. It's good for us to remember as we share our own personal testimonies. We talk with men and women and they share their credentials. We need to remind them that 
though their credentials are a wonderful thing in our culture and society, and perhaps they're used of a great way to do great things in our culture and society, they're simply not accepted before the court of heaven. Uh, and that is an opening point to, to use perhaps the law. And Paul gives an example. Would not have come to know coveting, except the law says you shall not covet. Uh, the word covet speaks to unrestrained desire for what the law forbids. As you know, the citation from Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, is the 10th commandment, shall not covet. The implication is that the moral law for us is still uh, active and authoritative. We should use the moral law, I think, uh, on occasion in our testimonies before a lost world. Uh, because most men do not think of themselves as being lost. They think of themselves as being pretty good. And that someday they'll step uh, on the scales of, of goodness and uh, it will tip their way. Their error is uh, their definition of goodness in that they don't know the law of God. Uh, second uh, table of the law, as you know, speaks to our love of neighbor. It largely engages actions uh, in the Old Testament. Not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not bear false witness. But the tenth commandment engages the heart. And uh, that is really where men are in serious trouble. The heart. The heart. You shall not covet. Old Testament says the neighbor's house, wife, servants, livestock, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I love the shorter catechism. Uh, what is required in the Tenth Commandment? Tenth Commandment requires full contentment with our own condition. Ooh, that's tough. Full contentment with our own condition, really. Uh, we are anything but, but content with our own condition. Uh, question 81, what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? Tenth Commandment forbids all discontentment with their own estate. I mean, the noose is around our neck. We're, we're in a bad way. Not because of the Puritan interpretation, but uh, simply uh, the law of God. Uh, but it is worthwhile, I think, by application for God's people uh, to remind us to be satisfied with the divine provisions in our life and to use lawful means to improve our estate as in hard work, education, and uh, in, in providence, as God allows, Deo Volente, the Lord wills. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with it. Uh, but to recognize that our contentment comes uh, with satisfaction with what God has given. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says about his own estate of contentment. I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul understood the radical uh, reality that things that make us discontent, remind us of our weakness, cause us to flee to Christ and his strength. 
Philippians 4, verse 11. I've learned to be content whatever circumstance I'm in. Because Paul knew the, that God was sovereign. God's in control of all things. Uh, he's foreordained everything that comes to pass. Uh, and so we, we should have contentment. Again, it doesn't stall us out in seeking improvement. Uh, nothing at all wrong with those things. Uh, perhaps everything right with them. Uh, they are just credentials not accepted in the court of heaven. Uh, the commandment here, in my own understanding, is a figure of speech. A technical word is a synecdoche for the entire law. Paul just picks one, but he really means the entire moral law. And it could be that Paul is himself, I, I think it's the case, uh, one representative of the entire nation of Israel. Uh, Israel had neglected the first table of the law, as you know, in the wilderness, became idolatrous in their worship of traditions. Uh, it's also worth noting for us in the New Testament that our Savior, Matthew chapter 5, takes the moral law and radically intensifies its meaning to our lives. So, not just adultery, it's lust. It's not just murder, it's hate. And on and on the Lord goes. And that's where it ensnares all of us. Uh, the outcome, verse 8, uh, is that sin took opportunity through the commandment uh, to bring about coveting of every kind in the life of the Apostle Paul. I read from uh, James uh, chapter 1, Verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So the law convicts, can't save. It can bury us, can't get us out of the grave. Uh, so the metaphors that sin exposed in Paul's life, the personal realization that he was dead spiritually. And the law defined that condition. He was spiritually dead. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul uses the word opportunity. That uh, sin uh, created the opportunity. Verse, verse 8, taking opportunity through the commandment. The word opportunity is used uh, in a military context as a base of operations so that coveting became a starting point for more sin. And typically, I mean, very crudely speaking, in the army, you start a base of operations, and from that operation, you, you conduct operations uh, in, uh, in the field. That's what... Uh, Sin created a base of operation for what? More sin. Uh, in terms of defining sins, the human condition of man outside of Christ and the new covenant provision of the Spirit. So from our standpoint, the law convicts us, condemns us, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, chases us to Christ. Uh, because 
Uh, once you understand that your credentials are rejected at God's court, um, you become interested in the only redeemer of God's elect. Uh, it's because religion cannot save. It's also important here to recognize that Paul is not dealing uh, in in theologies, dealing in simple human psychology. Uh, that's what his testimony is, what the law did to him in terms of his mind. He thought he was alive. Spiritually, he was dead. We know that theologically. But he thought he was alive. And again, it's not your estimation of yourself. It's God's estimation of you that's definitive. If you understand that, it chases you uh, to seek righteousness, not in yourself, but in God's provision. So, I mean, you and I know that the natural man is spiritually dead. Paul thought he was alive. Most do. You were... I always like those news programs where someone interviews a man on the street. Hey, how's it going? Well, did you have a good year? Yeah, I had a pretty good year. Did you improve as a human being? You know, I did. I, I, I think I did. So you're a pretty good person. Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. That's wonderful. Uh, in God's eyes or yours? Then you've got the person by the throat. Because it's not our estimation of ourselves. I mean, if I could write my own resume, uh, I, I could be accepted in the court of surgeons, but I'm no surgeon. And the point is, we can't write our own resume. God writes it. The law condemns us. We're dead spiritually. And Paul says, when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So the law convicts him and convinces him that he was spiritually dead and lost. And furthermore, sin had deceived him that he was alive. And that he could keep the law. It's a deceptiveness of sin. You know, by the way, we learn of that early, do we not, in the Garden of Eden. The serpent came to deceive. And uh, sin deceives us. Oh, you're a pretty good person. Compared to Joseph Stalin, all of us are pretty good people. The problem is the comparison is not Joseph Stalin. It's the glory of a righteous, infinite, eternal Perfect God. Now, how do you stack up to that? We're wanting, aren't we? The law defines that. So by the law, it killed him. Second um, Corinthians 11.3, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Uh, Hebrews 3.13, um, Encourage one another day after day, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, that's why we need, uh, we need to hear the law. Because we, uh, our sin deceives us and we deceive ourselves. And uh, that deception will harden our hearts. Make, make us unresponsive to God. So we need to hear the law. Even as Christians, we need to hear the law because it humbles us, reminds us of the uh, grace of God and the gift of the only Redeemer. Uh, our sinful nature deceives us into thinking we're not so bad, but the law exposes us as being bad. 
Uh, mind you, the shorter catechism, question 14, what is sin? Uh, sin is any want of conformity unto, one of any conformity unto, or transgression of the law of God. You know, I have this theory that a lot of people don't want to go to church or read their Bibles because they're afraid of what they might learn. They forget that ignorance is culpable in God's court. You can't stand before God's court and say, well, I didn't know that. Guilty. Uh, it's a fact that the Bible will not let you keep your own scorecard. It's function of the law. Uh, and it's sin within us working death. Well, the problem is not the law. It's what really Paul is telling us. It's sin. And the commandment exposed how utterly sinful he truly was, and we truly are. And that it chases us to the only Redeemer of God's elect. So the law really can be used in a powerful way in terms of the sharing of the gospel. Well, I don't need Christ. I'm a pretty good person. So the law helps define that. And again, we're wont to compare ourselves to Pol Pot or Adolf Hitler. That's not the comparison. Comparison is the perfections of Jesus Christ. So the law exposed Paul's spiritual condition. It showed him his need for Christ. And uh, just what is that need? Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Paul in Galatians, very interestingly, describes the law as a schoolmaster, teaching the young child the need for Christ because we cannot meet its demands. And the law cannot deliver. But it does show us how desperately we need the deliverer. Great, great, great reminder. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It has a restraining influence. It's another reason that the law is important with its warnings. But it cannot deliver. Only Christ can deliver. I think the moral law is important to preach because it, it restrains us by reminding us of places that we cannot go, shouldn't go, must not go, ought to leave alone, ought to walk on by. I would remind you that the law is also uh, important in the public square. Uh, an antonym to law is, of course, lawlessness and godlessness. Uh, John says that this spirit is present in the world, First John Chapter 4, verse 3. It's the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard, that is coming, but it's now already in the world. Well, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world, and so is the Holy Spirit in his church. Uh, one is uh, conforming us to the law. The other is creating lawlessness. And so I think uh, the law in that sense uh, can have a restraining influence of the lawlessness that abounds. As you know, in our country, the Constitution forbids a state church, 
does not forbid the presence of religion. Obviously, there are many organizations that get all excited about posting of the moral law in state houses or federal houses of government. Constitution doesn't forbid that. It forbids a state church. Uh, I would contend that uh, should be proclaimed because without it, lawlessness abounds. Uh, I heard a Harvard professor say the other day, I didn't catch his name, uh, he gave no indication of being a Christian, but he said something quite profound. He said, you take away religion, you cannot hire enough police. He's right. So, and, you know, every locale can have some say-so by voting in terms of the religion that should be prominent. But the point is to restrain lawlessness. And by removing law, our culture is becoming more and more lawless and, of course, more and more in need of Christ. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm quite shocked about the lawlessness in our culture. Uh, it used to be you just didn't see the things that you see today. Why is that? Because we've removed moral law from the public square. And we... Therefore, do not have something that is used by the Spirit of God to chase us to Christ. So, uh, and that is the point of the law. Chase people to Christ. Because it lays them bare. The eyes of a perfect God searching their heart. Unlocking the closet doors. For God knows. So the law did not save Paul, exposed the bankruptcy of his religion, uh, and thus we have here his testimony, that the law is not uh, to be set aside. The law is not evil. The law points us to the need of a Savior. As I've stated, cannot deliver, but it shows us we need a deliverer. I mean, think about it, certainly in the two tables of the law. Compress it. Love God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and spirit, and our neighbor as ourselves. You don't do that, flee to Christ, the Savior. That's a good reminder for the Christian. Love God. All of our heart, soul, spirit. Demand of the law. Teaching us, oh, that we should love God. Uh, because the gift of the Redeemer. So remember the bankruptcy of religion. Uh, and that in, in Paul's case, it drove him to the Savior. Let's turn back to Philippians chapter 3. We've looked at Paul's credentials in the uh, context that I read just a moment ago from Philippians 3. Uh, let's look at verses 8 to 12. Yeah, well, let's begin verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So in one sentence, he trashes his resume as of Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, 
as to the law of Pharisee. Trashes it all because he knows the court of heaven will not accept it. Counted his loss. More than that, I count all things to be in loss of you, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. That's what the, the law exposed his CV, if you will, chased him to the Savior. And only the righteousness of Christ. By the way, that's the only resume that the court of heaven accepts in terms of salvation. Only. There is no other. That's what Paul really is doing in his text, setting his righteousness at the door of the courthouse, walking in with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That heaven will take every time. The doors of hope will open in the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone, doctrine of justification, which we've studied in the book of Romans. But here in Philippians 3, it has captured the Apostle Paul. He goes on to say that forgetting the things that are behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. He forgets his attainments in Judaism. as a premier religious man. Walks away from it. Uh, when I was writing my uh, thesis, Dallas Seminaries, um, hired a uh, young lady to help me with some Hebrew reading. Um, so I go to her home and Certainly thankful her husband was there um, for obvious reasons, but uh, he wouldn't let his wife get involved. He, he wanted to show me, <laughs> which is, I understand that. Now, he was a rabbi. I mean, this guy, he'd forgotten more Hebrew than I did. Uh, it's very interesting about religious men. So he, he starts singing to me, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. He said, I don't know where this is from. Starts singing the Hebrew. I said, what's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1? At that point, he sat up in his chair, not because I was some smart guy, but I just knew the Hebrew of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. I mean, you know it, don't you? Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Because God has sent a redeemer. Eternal comfort. I mean, the rabbi, he just knew the words. By God's grace, I knew the author. So I'm, I'm kind of a believer, uh, as you know, that we, we establish relationships with people. Um, and you ask God in his sovereign grace to open doors and perhaps to share the gospel. But relationships are very profound. Um, not the only way, but uh, sometimes it's uh, maybe a very important way. You can't do that on an airplane or on a bus uh, because you just... You know, flight's over, you walk away. But you have a neighbor, or in this case, uh, I kept coming back. We were reading Hebrew, Isaiah chapter 6, particularly. Uh, 
But uh, I, I, I asked my rabbi, I said, well, I mean, uh, you, you read this text about God hardening hearts? Uh, when you teach your people the law, do you teach them the law? He said, no. I said, what do you mean you don't teach them the law? How come you don't teach them the law? He said, their hearts are fat. See the irony of that? Isaiah chapter 6, God tells Isaiah, go make the hearts of my people fat. In other words, unresponsive things of God. It's a terrible text of judgment. I mean, I just shudder every time I read that text because of the hardening of hearts. So here my rabbi friend saying, hearts of my people are fat. I said, well, you know, perhaps they need to uh, need to know Emmanuel, God with us, and uh, know, know the Savior of Isaiah chapter 40. And I said, perhaps you, perhaps you need to do that. He said, I couldn't do that. I said, why couldn't you do that? But because I'd have to trash my human accomplishments. He couldn't do what Paul did. So he didn't have the spirit. Uh, seeking attainment before God. God will take none of them. Only the attainments of Christ. Justification only. I mean, you, you and I know by faith alone, no works, only the work of Christ for us. And it is, I think, an important reminder. Uh, the reality, the importance of the law and what it did in the life of the Apostle Paul and in our lives. And that we learn to say with the Apostle Paul, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. In my case, I, I'm, a, I'm a worse man than the Apostle Paul. I still struggle over my sinfulness of days gone by, and present days for that matter. At some point I have to say, Phil, you've got to break off. Forget. Forget what's behind. Revel in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that grace that you need every day. Not just morning, noon, at night, but every day, every minute, every second of every hour of every day, the grace of God to sustain and keep and preserve. Because I know enough in our fallen natures that given the right circumstance, we will defect, become sinful all the more. The law taught the Apostle Paul that. And that's why he could revel in his weakness, because in his weakness it made him strong by trusting God. And that we are bankrupt and only the righteousness of Christ will avail before God. So Paul junks the law, junks his religion. Uh, the Christian does that as well. It, it, I understand it's a difficult thing to do. But when the law lays you bare and then shows you the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ, of whom there is no failure, no shadow of turning, becomes self-evident by the Spirit what you must do to flee to the Savior. And so Paul proclaims the all-sufficiency of Christ in the doctrine of justification. And so, uh, what have you? I've told you my problems and my hope in Christ alone. 
Um, the point is, do you know the righteousness of Christ as your Savior? Have you come to recognize that your righteousness of Christ, while it may, it may be good at school, it may be good before your neighbors, uh, it's not accepted in heaven. Only God is good. Uh, that we need the righteousness of another. I believe it's R.C. Sproul that coined, at least in my understanding, uh, the phrase an alien righteousness. Not alien in the sense of pejorative, but namely alien in the sense of someone else's. And that we present before heaven the righteousness of Christ alone, unmixed, alone. Only his righteousness will avail. Now, again, I'm speaking in justification. I'm not touching sanctification, but again, the radical importance of the righteousness of Christ and how the law exposes us. So do you know that? Think again of the words of the Apostle Paul, that I may know him. Do you know him in that sense? If you don't, uh, flee to him. Uh, sue for peace. Um, forget what is behind. And go forward to the things that lie ahead. And receive uh, by faith uh, the righteousness of another. And to be justified before God. And the court of heaven will open before you. And you can be received. At that point, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, heaven will accept your credentials. Where heretofore it would not. Uh, it's like an ambassador goes to a foreign country. He stands before the government, the king, the queen, whoever credentials credentials as being from the United States government as an ambassador. Well, we present the credentials of Christ. Heaven accepts us. I trust you know that. So what Paul has been telling us is that the Christian uh, needs to hear the law. Uh, we need it. Society needs it. But most importantly, it chases us to apprehend him whom to know is to know full, complete, total forgiveness by the one act of the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Uh, may that be our hope this day and in every day. Uh, and may all the more we, to desire to lay hold, using the words of the Apostle Paul, to lay hold of that which has laid hold of us. The grace of God laid hold of the Apostle Paul and that he turns to respond to lay hold of it. It would be my prayer for each of us in the new year to pursue it because it pursued us, ran us to ground, and gave us new life in Jesus Christ.